This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. Nikki Freed takes aim at Rick Scott, accusing the former governor of ideological warfare against Floridians with HIV. After years of avoiding any talk about climate change, Republican leaders in the state legislature say they are ready to face up to the problem. Apparently, all it took was getting Scott out of the governor's office. A new study from Florida State University says criminals who are born in America are far more likely to be repeat offenders than immigrants from other countries. The secretary of the Florida Department of Corrections is asking lawmakers for help and money to change the culture of his agency. We'll also have your daily calendar of events along with the latest tale of infamy from Florida Man, who in this case was an armed guardian at a public school, or maybe unarmed is a better way of putting it. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, September 20th. Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed tees off on U.S. Senator and former Governor Rick Scott after the Guardian newspaper reported that his administration refused to accept almost $70 million to fight the spread of HIV. Freed took to Twitter to say Scott owes an apology to 120,000 Floridians with HIV, including her own stepbrother. She says Scott's refusal to draw down the federal funding was not the result of incompetence or negligence. She calls it ideological warfare against those with HIV. So you might be wondering, why exactly is the Agriculture Commissioner blasting the senator for something that has nothing to do with her official duties? Well, remember Freed is also the only Democrat holding statewide office, so she became the de facto leader of Florida Democrats after her election last November. I take that responsibility pretty seriously. And, you know, I, I definitely have, have grown into the position because, again, you know, on election night, we, we all first didn't know what was going to happen. And then I came out as the only one. Uh, and so it's been, a, it's been a learning curve and trying to figure out how to exactly make sure I'm doing my job, uh, but still be present for the Democrats across the state of Florida. Um, but yeah, so no, I, I definitely didn't sign up for this uh, for sure. Um, but it's been an amazing experience. And now, of course, we have the national elections and the presidential elections coming up. Uh, so my phone definitely rings off the hook with a lot of our presidential candidates looking for my endorsement and more importantly, my advice. How does a Democrat win the state of Florida? So I'm asked that probably weekly. You're about the only one that could answer that truthfully, too, yeah. uh, how to get elected in Florida as a Democrat. Yeah, and, and I do. You know, I, I'm very upfront and honest, you know, that I have been a, a lifetime Democrat since I was probably even before I was, uh, I was 17 when the first time that you were able to in high school sign up to actually register to vote. Uh, but my dad is a diehard Republican. I think that on Election Day, I was the only Democrat he's ever voted for in his entire life. Uh, and my mom is a diehard Democrat. She was a teacher for 25 years. So I always was able to listen to both sides of arguments, always listen to policy arguments and, and come up to my own conclusions. And that's how I ran my campaign. And that's how I have always been somebody who wants to hear both sides of a situation and try to figure out what's in the best interest for our state. Freed says she will not be taking sides in the presidential race until Democrats pick their nominee. But once that happens, she's all in for the campaign against Donald Trump. Now, there's been a lot of talk during the Trump administration about the threat posed by criminal immigrants. But the new study from Florida State University shows that immigrants who have committed a felony in Florida and have been released from prison here in the state are significantly less likely to commit another crime than our own homegrown crooks. Researchers found that 32% of non-immigrants were convicted of another felony within three years of their release from prison, compared to only 19% of the immigrants. Maren Wenger is co-author of the study. She's also an assistant professor at the College of Criminology and Criminal Justice at FSU. She says their study continues to dispel the myth of the criminal immigrant and that policymakers should ignore the heated rhetoric directed toward foreign-born individuals. 
The head of the state prison system is telling Florida lawmakers there's a serious problem behind the razor wire, and he's trying to change the culture of the correction system. Mark Inch has only been on the job for about eight months. It didn't take him long to figure out that there is a staffing crisis. We should all be proud of the 24,000-plus staff of the Florida Department of Corrections. But as many of you expressed to me in our initial meetings in January and February, there is cause for serious concern. First, we are experiencing an unsustainable rate of attrition of our correctional officers, correctional probation officers, and staff. This attrition, especially among new employees, leads to high vacancy rates, decreased average experience and maturity levels, increased training and overtime costs, and shortfalls in comprehensive custody and control. We must reduce staff attrition and vacancy rates. Second, the inmate culture is showing clear evidence of stress, as expressed by rising inmate-on-inmate and inmate-on-staff violence. But Senator Randolph Bracey of Orlando was also concerned about another form of violence behind bars. It's the type where the person doing the beating is wearing a uniform. How about staff on inmate violence? You know, I, I think that's something that's prevalent in DOC, and it has been for a long time. And I think that also provides stress among inmates. You know, I've, I've visited a number of prisons, and it's a common theme that you hear amongst in- inmates. But I believe that it's a culture. I guess I'm looking for a more proactive approach instead of waiting till an investigation comes about. A common theme uh, that I've heard is that there is violence of probation officers on inmates. That's a common theme that I hear when I visit and I talk to inmates that that are really kind of scared to talk to me out of fear of retaliation. So regardless of the processes that that you go through with investigations and the like, there is a a cultural problem. It it just warrants some serious attention and I know I know you're taking it seriously, but um, I don't know what what to do. And so I think it's a huge problem. I think it's it's a it's a humanitarian crisis. Secretary Inch says the best way to deal with violence is to make life better for the corrections officers. They're working 12 hour shifts and forced overtime to make up for staff shortages. And it's had a dramatic impact on their quality of life. This is real life in the life of our correctional officers. This, this gentleman or lady said, I isolate myself and need to be left alone. Low regard toward humanity and the world. Inability to vent or relieve stress due to lack of desire to communicate work-related duress to family, friends, and loved ones. Another one said, started drinking. Short-tempered, no sleep. Attitude changed at home almost caused my divorce. Third one, lack of faith in humanity. Drinking, divorce. Divorce, cold-hearted, social anxiety. Personality change, eating to cope with stress, can't sleep. Drinking, short temper, isolation. Every one of them. That's, that's what 12-hour shifts and vacancy rates result in real people's life. Inch is asking lawmakers to come up with $29 million for a pilot program to convert some of the prisons back to eight-and-a-half-hour shifts. He's also asking for $60 million to help retain veteran corrections officers and the authority to hire almost 300 more employees. After years of ignoring the science of climate change, members of the Florida legislature seem to have stumbled upon a collective epiphany that A, it's real, and B, they actually need to do something about it. 
State Senator Rob Bradley, who chairs the Appropriations Committee in the upper chamber, says GOP leaders are stepping up their game. We as Republicans have really grabbed the mantle when it comes to the environment. You know, we're conservatives. We should be about conserving. And that includes conserving our natural resources that God has given us. One of the things that I really like about this governor is that he is um, very concerned about making sure that when we spend money on the environment, that we follow the science. The idea of having a chief resiliency officer, the idea of having a chief science officer and making sure that we vet these projects so that we're getting a good return on our investment, that they are, in fact, cleaning the water, that, you know, we're, we're buying the land that we need to be buying, that people who whose job it is to uh, study these things are being consulted, that we have a blue-green algae task force, that we bring to bear the resources of our wonderful state universities, that we bring them to the table to advise us and guide us. This really is kind of a golden age, I think, for environmental policy in the state of Florida. Governor DeSantis has been great on that front. I mean, I I was the first senator to endorse Governor DeSantis, and the reason I, I did, other than the fact that he's from my area and I, I know him and he's a great guy, is that I knew that he was going to do the right thing when it comes to the environment. And that, that's something I've been very passionate about in my service here. And we have a great alignment on that, on that issue. I think this session is going to be more of a focus even last, than even last session on making sure that we do the things that we need to do uh, to protect our environment for future generations in the state of Florida. I think we have an absolute moral obligation to do that. Bradley is not alone on that score. When Representative Chris Sprouls was designated the next Speaker of the House of Representatives, he made it clear that the days of ignoring climate change are done. Florida's prosperity is inextricably tied to our environment. Our beaches and our water are among our state's chief economic assets. And as the trustees of our state, it is our job to protect and enhance those assets. We need to stop being afraid of words like climate change and sea level rise. Frankly, we do this too often as conservatives. We confuse acknowledging a problem with acquiescing to a particular solution. We can recognize that our environment matters without banning our air conditionings or or closing our supermarkets or scrapping our cars. Floridians aren't interested in the utter nonsense of the Green New Deal, but they do want good jobs, clean water, and ample sandy beaches. They want to know we are working on practical ways to mitigate the risks of flooding in our coastal communities. We don't live in Iowa. We live in a peninsula. We cannot afford to put our head in the sand and hope that the beach doesn't disappear against a permanent rising tide. We shouldn't be afraid of facts. Now, Republicans would never say anything like that during the Rick Scott administration. Democrats called him a climate change denier, but in truth, he really didn't deny it as much as he just ignored it. Asked Scott about the problem, his standard response was, I'm not a scientist. But Senator Bradley says things are different now that Ron DeSantis is governor. Well, I think Governor Scott got a little bit of a bum rap on on that. Um, oh, he, I love he, go, no, go ahead. I want to hear this. No, I mean, he, he got... <laughs> I, I'm not sure that there was ever a dictate that they couldn't say certain things. Uh, there was that one hearing that was a little weird that time where when, when Jack Ladd when Ladvala, yeah. yeah, which which he asked I thought the DEP was, secretary climate change. Yeah, that and, yeah. and that was actually pretty fun political theater. I thought it was, yeah. it was pretty hilarious actually. And you know, and then I think it kind of got a life of its own after that occurred. But uh, you know, I've I've 
I've heard Governor Scott uh, talk about that issue, but, th- but that, the point is that that what, whatever happened in the past, what we know going forward is that uh, you know let's just follow the science. And uh, Governor DeSantis, as a chief resiliency officer, we put money in the budget this this current budget year to deal with those issues. We're going to be doing more and more as we go forward, and I think part of it is. You know, let's take Northeast Florida, for instance. You have these areas that whenever there's a hurricane or a major storm, they just flood over and over and over again. Uh, we need to use we need to purchase some of those lands and just and take it out uh, of inventory and act as wetlands are supposed to act. I mean, they're they're there. God put them there for a reason. Uh, that's where the water is supposed to go when uh, when the water rises. And let's use them. Uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, Republicans um, should be about common sense solutions to the problems that we all have to acknowledge that we're facing. As part of the new focus on the environment, Senator Bradley says the state is spending $625 million on water quality projects this year. He expects that they'll do more of the same next year. On today's agenda, State Representative Chris Latvala of Clearwater is front and center at 8 this morning at a meeting of Cafe Contampa. He'll be talking about education, child welfare. It's 12 bucks to get in, but hey, that includes the breakfast buffet. The Florida State University Board of Trustees meets at 8.30 this morning at the Gus Turnbull Center on the FSU campus. The State Board of Education is meeting in Duval County. That begins at 9. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity is scheduled to release the August unemployment numbers at 10 this morning. The Financial Impact Estimating Conference will hold a workshop about a proposed constitutional amendment to legalize recreational marijuana that's taking place at 10 a.m. in the Knott Building across the street from the Capitol. And the Florida chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness is holding a two-day conference in Orlando. It starts today, 10 o'clock at the Omni Resort. Time now for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, the Sunshine State's very own superhero. 37-year-old Eric Russell has been working as a school guardian in Pinellas County since April. Now, these guardians are supposed to be the first line of defense against a school shooter, but investigators say Russell pawned the Glock handgun that was issued to him by the sheriff's office three times in one month. He also pawned two clips for the firearm and even some body armor that had been issued by the sheriff's office. Russell told deputies he did it for gas money. That story made it to the front page of Reddit, and the number one response was, maybe they should have paid him more than minimum wage. This is not the first time a Florida school guardian has been charged with pawning a service weapon. There was a similar case last year in Jacksonville. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. Enjoy your weekend. We're back on Monday.